The entertainment business is a ruthless one. To say the road to success in the industry is filled with some pitfalls would be an understatement. But if, and that's a big if, you can weather the storm and come through the other side, a whole new challenge awaits. Now, you're known. What do you do with all these new eyes on you? Do you stay in your lane? Or do you branch out and show the world just exactly how much you can do? In the case of Nick Cannon, there was only one clear choice. I told him. Nick Cannon is a multi-generational entertainer, and quite literally the definition of hustle. He was born in 1980 in San Diego, California, and raised mainly by his grandfather. As a teenager, Cannon got his first big break by performing stand-up on a local cable access program run by his father. Shortly after, he found himself as a cast member on the Nickelodeon show, All That. which also spawned guest spots on Keenan and Kel, and eventually led to his own Nickelodeon show, The Nick Cannon Show, which he also wrote and executive produced. Originally wanting to be a music producer, his group opened for the likes of Will Smith, 98 Degrees, and LFO. Cannon signed with Jive Records in 2001 and released his debut album in 2003. By 2005, Cannon had launched his own label, Can I Ball Records, through which he planned to release his follow-up album, Stages, though that album never saw the light of day. This happened in part because of Cannon's exploding acting career. Throughout the early 2000s, Nick Cannon could be seen in a multitude of films, including Men in Black 2, Love Don't Cost a Thing, Shall We Dance, and most notably, Drumline, which was a leading role for Cannon, springboarding him into the spotlight. Fast forward to 2005, and Nick was creating, writing, executive producing, and hosting his own show, Wild and Out, which is still on air today. Wild and Out would give Nick Cannon even more of an audience, but would eventually open up opportunities to host things like award shows, parades, countdowns, and eventually, America's Got Talent. This is America's Got Talent, the finale! Yeah! Nick Cannon was the host of the hit show from 2009 to 2016, after which he took some time to get back to school and graduate in 2020 from Howard University with a Bachelor of Science of Criminology, Administration of Justice, and a minor in Africana Studies. No more stress, no more Count Currently, Nick Cannon hosts his own radio show syndicated through Skyview Networks, still hosts, exec produces, and writes for Wild and Out, is the host of The Masked Singer, is still producing and releasing music, still making sketches, writing comedy, is the father of seven children, quite literally makes coast-to-coast trips on a weekly basis, and just launched a new daytime television show. The crazy part? He has no plans of slowing down anytime soon. Like I said, truly the definition of hustle. My name is Eric Zachary. This is the Spot Podcast, where famous people spot off about more than they're famous for. And today, that's Nick Cannon. Nick Cannon. Yes, sir. How are you, man? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. I'm excited for this because uh, you and I have worked adjacent a little bit. Okay. We have similar uh, colleagues. I worked with DC Young Fly and Justina Valentine oh, on what? TRL. Oh, on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I saw you in the hallway like super briefly once. I was like, hey, what's up, man? And yeah. then, I mean, we're both busy and you're yeah, all over the place. But Absolutely. I, this is a long time coming. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you. 
Thank you. I have man. one specific question. All right, here we go. One, one specific question, and then the conversation can go wherever we want with it. You are quite literally a multi generational entertainer, meaning you have an audience from basically every decade for the last 30, 40 years. I'll take that. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that. Which I'll means see. with that comes, though, uh, the ability to kind of pivot between the different scopes of entertainment, what the landscape looks like. Yeah, yeah. What do you think entertainment's going to look like? In five years and 10 years. Because it's changed drastically Ooh. in two years. Man. Well, when we're stepping... Just the endless possibility of creativity. Mm-hmm. Man, I think... I mean, we've all grown up watching movies like Total Recall and Back to the Future. And, like, you know, and even uh, Ready Player One. Like, all, like that's that's what entertainment is an experience now like and even what you know as as a father like i'm watching i'm watching my son uh play Fortnite, and it's a entertainment amusement park i mean they're having concerts in Fortnite. concert like this is where he learns all his dances this is where he learns gets knows all the new songs as what he's where he meets his friends Mm -hmm. this is where he learns about fashion he's gotta shoot a gun (laughs) like like it's a it's a great storyline like to me and even like because he's 10 so i'm a fan of like grand theft auto like been a fan of grand theft auto and so like i'm so i got a few more years before (laughs) before we can share that together but it's like just think about how entertaining grand theft auto is and because grand theft auto pulls from the likes of like boys in the hood ministers to some of my favorite films uh and music like the like the music budget soundtracks in gaming insane like like i've got a couple of those checks those are like <laughs> like it's way better than you're like rec- where was this when yeah. i was starting i was like there's way better than record label checks there's people who making music for video games that are making way more money than all your favorite artists you know what i mean and it's just yeah. and, and it's just like so experiential intellectual properties is where everything's going. We're literally going to be putting on these, you know, VR, VR goggles. goggles and that. And when you put them on, Will Smith is going to be in there. Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to be in there. J-Lo going to be in there. And you're going to be able to do whatever you want to do with them. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do. Hopefully you shake their hand yeah, and have a conversation. Yeah. yeah. If not, you know, you're, you're in your own goggles. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad you brought up Will Smith, man, because yeah. there's a couple articles floating around from a long time yeah. ago where you quote it. Is it the G4 Dope Bomb Squad? Did <laughs> I get that so right? weird that that always comes back up because... I don't know where they got it from, but like I think somebody took like five different stories yeah, and, and combined it to together one. Because, so what's the true story? So Give me like the two minute. I had a rap group called the Bomb Squad. Yeah, you know that I used to, and I got the opportunity to open up for so many people because I was literally like a teenager fresh out of high school. This is back in San Diego. Yeah, okay. I was literally we were trying to be outcasts. You know what I mean? Like as like a, a young West Coast teenage version of outcast. And I feel like the G at like because I think they've tried to put like. Chingy I saw that. I'm like, there's like, no way that's true. The uh, T.I. Chingy. I'm like, wait, where did, who came up with this bizarre story? Oh, yeah. But I, I was in a rap group called The Bomb Squad. And literally, like, I actually was the producer. Mm. Like, I never wanted to be the front guy. Like, I never was looking to be on television. I was more fascinated by the process of, like, even with television. I was, you know, my dad had a 
cable access show and I was the I went through all of the workshops and everything to be the crew like well, you did you did stand up on that station yeah right? well that was the thing, you know that just for fun yeah trying to stay out of trouble but that was like, after you were already yeah, learning the back end yeah of but like my goal like I was really into production like I wanted to be a television producer I wanted to be a music producer like I had artists in high school like I was signed literally like for lunch money I was signed like all of the rappers and you know produce beats on them and put these little mixtape compilations together and sell them out the trunk of our mom's car and DJ you, you thought your label deal was sketchy wait till you're giving up your applesauce yeah, exactly <laughs> Facts. Facts. Like, I was literally record. signing people for lunch money <laughs> Uh, and like designing our artwork, but that was I, you know, I was really impressed by the likes of like Jermaine Dupree mm-hmm. and, and Diddy and Russell Simmons, and I would see all of those. I'm like, ooh, I want to do that for my community. I, I have the ability to, you know, I was, you know, multifaceted musician and really was into DJing and stuff like so. But I never wanted to be, you know, in on camera. But like the stand up thing kind of just took off for me, which started off as a hobby, and then that opened up the doors to allow me to do all of the other stuff. But you know that I was my goal was to be like the next Jermaine Dupri or P Diddy. Like that was always my my dream. Yeah, let's talk about the musicianship for a second, because I, I again rumor like can't believe anything. We know yeah, this. Yeah. Like, we fact see. checking right now. We, I'm trying. I want to get it straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? I have the source. Right here. Exactly. Do you play seven instruments? Yeah, I mean that's even like you put a number on it. It's like I grew up in church, so you could play whatever. Oh man, okay. You play whatever. Are they there. counting the triangle then too, or are we going that's up to eight? Like, but that's like, what do you consider? Like, how do you count the number? Like, yeah. it's like whatever. It's like when you think about the vibe of of when you like, if you know how to play a piano, then you know you probably can mess around on an organ. If you know how to play a guitar, you can play the bass. If, being a drummer, you rhythm, syncopate. So like, you know, I would say my main instrument that I love the most and probably the most passion for is the piano. Yeah. And then when you have the understanding of theory and all of that stuff, you could pretty much, I could pick, I could pick anything up and make it make noise. You know what I mean? Like, give me, give me long enough with it. And, you know, my, my grandfather was a, a, a wind instrumentalist so he played clarinet saxophone trombone like mm-hmm. he he was uh flute so like even like when you know how to make those things work anything it, yeah so Anything's possible. I, 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 I i don't know where the number seven came from but like <laughs> i can i can make a lot of instruments sound good <laughs> so what's what's an instrument you picked up and you went nope <laughs> that one's not for me maybe Probably i'll, I'll the, respect to be honest to be really good at the organ yeah takes a lot of work i thought of maybe five different instruments in my head of what you were gonna say (laughs) organ is not that but it makes sense because you got all the pedals and the the air compression and the thing and like because you think you could just take everything from piano and apply it but it's 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 actually more difficult so you won't catch nick cannon playing the theme song at a baseball game yeah like that's probably like the one thing i could figure out how to play but like when i watch like even like at church when you see people on the organ like yo that's impressive yeah but uh, yeah. I, other than that, I think you know, I'm, I can fair. I mean, you probably wouldn't want to put, pick up the freaking tuba either. Like, <laughs> just in general, not yeah. even to play it. But yeah, like, I think it's just awkward. Yeah, especially you know having the marching band where I always felt bad for the tubas. They had to be big dudes. <laughs> like it's just carrying that big ass thing around. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, we've heard the story, right? Like you were you were willing to play drums, already new drums, picked it up even more for drumline. Yeah, that kind of stuff. That was the same vibe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I messed around on it, so I could I could make it sound good. Yeah. I could do a couple of cadences and stuff. But like when 
I got the role. I mean, I remember them asking, like, yo, can you play drums? Like, absolutely. Hell yeah, I can play drums. Yeah, I can play drums. Yeah. I can do whatever you want me to do for this, be a star of a movie. So, uh, but Were, I mean. Did again, you go into, like, rudiments and learning that kind of stuff? Yeah, especially once we got the job. Oh, yeah. I wanted, one, I wanted to prove to everybody that I could play drums. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I didn't want to be look like I lied to the casting director. Uh, so I kind of. Which, by the way, anyone who's ever auditioned for anything, you lie first and you learn it later. Learn it. Like, if you ever look at any actor's uh, resume, they have the, under the skills thing that's usually like right at the very bottom, they have all type of bullshit like archery <laughs> dude i think mine said rollerblading yeah, yeah, for some like, reason i thought that was gonna help yeah, my career right. as like, a child actor I wonder if a was like wow he does archery we gotta get this guy in here <laughs> i would love a world where nick can audition for like hunger games yeah, like, <laughs> i'm nice with this bow and arrow shit <laughs> oh man i want to i want to selfishly talk about the hustle because i mean it's no secret that you are a man with a thousand and one jobs yeah i mean you were quite literally coast to coast on a daily basis yeah yeah facts so when um you know when life hits when it doesn't when things are going good when it's going bad when people are talking shit but they're then you know when they're you're on the top of a mountain what centers you through all of that oh i mean the hustle just like you said the the the, the constant drive to keep going if if you let any of the noise slow you down or stop you, you on the wrong frequency. Like you got it. Like that's that's slow down, stuck in the mud, low frequency energy that I try to avoid. I'm aware of it. Like you know, there's a low frequency below you, but you just try to get to the highest frequency. And the way you get to the highest frequency is just don't stop, keep pushing, stay motivated, keep moving. So what drives the hustle? I think it's reciprocal. I think they feed into each other because. I always say I got to keep cooking while the pot is hot. Like, I really feel like I'm blessed with the opportunity that a lot of people don't get. So I got to take full advantage of it. So that I come from that. I come from, you know, even like when you think of stand up, like you had to do everything. You got to write your jokes. You got to perform your act. You have to promote yourself. They give you like seven tickets to sell or you can't go on stage. Like You got to literally get seven people to come yeah. and come to the comedy club. Otherwise, you don't get no time. Like, so you got to figure out how to market yourself how to promote so coming from that and then coming from you know my dad was a hustler you know like I come from a long line of like people from the community that really cared about the community and ministers and making something out of nothing and uplifting you know a community activist type of mentality so all of that combined together and then you put you know entrepreneurial spirit on top of it is like yo I'm I'm gonna just I'm going to go for what I know. No, it, and it, it rings true. You know, we, we have some similarities where, you know, we both work in TV. You have Nick Cannon radio. And I think a lot of people hear a radio show. And if it's a good radio show, they pay attention, right? They're yeah, like, okay, yeah. this, is, this is fire. This is good. It, it wouldn't be unfair to, to think that people, just the general public, hear that. And they go, well, he's just using what he used on TV. Or it's it's nah. the same energy and it's a different world. Man. Well, I mean, like, cause I mean, first of all, I, I have such a great respect for broadcast, and if any, in having studied it and come up, like I said, all the way from like cable access to being interns at a radio stations. That was school. one of your first kids, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, shouts out to like Z ninety in San Diego and Power one hundred six in L A. Like, even like, like I used to stand outside Power one hundred six at like fifteen years old with my demo tape and like literally people who are like rappers and producers and stuff now today that were also interns and working. And, and you know so like I remember those days of like I just wanted to be on the radio to make people laugh I just wanted to be you know hear my song played on you know even if it was local 
like those things and even your cable access. So that process of having such a great respect specifically for the most intimate form of communication, because the thing about radio and even podcasting is people feel like they know you, you get to you, they've let, they let you, they've given you their time. They let you in on their, their morning drive journey. They let you in on when they're traveling to see their family. Like those things are so important. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you got to give them that same respect to not try to pull a fast one over on them. So if you just repurposing content on another platform, first of all, not just radio, that doesn't work anywhere. Right. Like, you know, like if you notice, like you can be like the biggest YouTuber in the world and you try to put that on Twitter and you get no views or you could be like the the biggest TikTok, you know, Skit, uh, whatever it may yeah, be, yeah. influencer and you try to put that on Instagram and it just doesn't work the same way. Like people respect their mediums and their platforms to be what they want. So, as much as you can, you know, we're building an ultimate brand, but it's never, it's never, you never just want to repurpose stuff. You want to speak the language of the platform in which you're dealing with. And with radio being one of the original and, and like I said, one of the most in touch and intimate people want that real connection. So, you know, every single day we in here, you know, 6 a.m., just getting to it mm -hmm. and you know like there's and you know obviously there's always tricks of the trade and shortcuts but anytime it doesn't feel authentic then you're doing the wrong thing this episode of the spot podcast is brought to you by ritual protein powders can be intimidating especially if you don't work out but the fact is we all need protein it's not just about muscles or bulking up protein helps support bone health and as we go through life Protein needs to change to adapt to the stage of life you're currently in. Ritual's essential protein is not only delicious, it's plant-based protein powder with three distinct formulas designed to meet the body's changing protein needs. I personally love the taste. It's not easy to find a protein powder that tastes good but also has the right stuff in it. And that's where Ritual checks off all the boxes. You add water, you shake, and you're set. There's three thoughtful formulas to choose from depending what stage of life you're in, all of which have 20 grams of pea protein per serving, the Daily Shake 18 plus, the Daily Shake 50 plus, and the Daily Shake pregnancy and postpartum. So if you're ready to shake up your protein ritual right now, you get 10% off your first three months at ritual.com slash spout. Ritual even offers a money back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. Again, 10% off of your first three months by visiting ritual.com slash spout. I saw the video when you were on Power 106 and you were announcing that Nick Cannon radio was getting syndicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And shout out Skyview. I'm, yeah. I'm starting a syndicated show in January. Congratulations, man. Thanks, man. I, I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm saying that because I, I'm in this moment curious what a mentor like yourself has to say. I saw the that twinkle in your eye. When, yeah. you, when you say something like that, you can get handed the world, but when it's something you've been chasing yeah. for, for that long. So any tips for, for, for anyone watching that's yeah. going for a syndication deal but, no, but this is obviously more about me but yeah, i'm curious it's more about you but even more in the sense it was like i would say this to anyone have a master plan like don't just go into it as like oh like take advantage of the opportunity be grateful but like even with one of the reasons why i was so excited about syndicated radio because i also knew i had a syndicated talk show and also you know i've seen people be really successful in this space of dominating multimedia you know what i mean and being able to be present on multiple platforms and that was always my master plan that was like yo i want you know and 
having having the likes of being able to have learned and set at the the footstool of the Howard Stearns and the Steve Harveys and like knowing knowing these people on a, a personal level and watch having being having the opportunity to see how they move and and how their infrastructure and their team operates I was like oh I want that I want to be able to do that and I know I'm willing to work just as hard. I know I'm willing to to learn the skill sets and put in the time and the effort of what I, if if there's something that I don't have innately, I'm I'm willing to go chase it and go get it. So that's um that having a master plan, man, study your craft and have a real trajectory on where you see it because you know syndication is great but what are you going to do with it once you get it you know what i mean because that you think that's the one thing you get uh you think that's like oh i'm I'm syndicated i just sit back and the money's rolling in it's like nah that's where the work begins Mm -hmm. like and that's why it it is an opportunity only few can do because to be able to like you said to be able to relate to multiple demographics multiple generations it's not an easy task and you gotta you gotta learn that language you gotta learn um that you know that that side warfare of being able to to be charismatic to multiple multiple people uh but still be authentic to who you are and there's you know there's very few people who who have thread that needle and that's why they do get the big bucks that's why they are the people that we know uh, that operate that way you know, you made a really good point about the multi-platform and, you know, every medium has its own deserved respect of itself, you know? Mm-hmm. So someone like you that, you know, you are on so many different platforms and you are constantly, I can see it. I mean, you know, as, as brilliant and good as you are, you are still always working to polish it more. Yeah. How soon do you jump on a new trend? Like, like TikTok just got announced. Are you on it that day? It depends. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I remember being, you know, one of the first people on Twitter, but I wasn't one of the first people on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would been rocking with TikTok since they were musically. I, I same because that was a Viacom thing, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I was, uh, you know, I kind of always been on that wave, and you know, it's interesting. Like even something like YouTube. Like I remember I had a, I had a viral digital concept show before there was YouTube. Like I was on. Uh, I created this thing called Short Circuits. It was going to be a, or it was, it was a spinoff of Wild and Out. We were using all of our talent, and the whole vibe was like, we were making shorts, you know, at the time, that's what we called it. It was like two-minute skits, uh, and we were kind of stringing them together. The only thing that, only reference I really had was like, you know, like a bunch of failed sketch shows on from Comedy Central or even like obviously the biggest one that we know is like in Living Color, mm-hmm. uh, which was the most successful of my generation. Yeah. Where like something that oh they would go do a uh, a parody music video, oh they would do a parody commercial, oh they do a parody movie trailer. I was like yo imagine if we did that, um, and you know we put it out there, put it on the internet. You know what I mean? And like that, the mechanism, even though it was a TV show, the mechanism is that we were presenting this in like this Circuit City type of store Mm -hmm. that these shorts would pop up on the different screens and on your computers and all of that stuff. And we were take, we wanted people to make them. We had people making skits at their house 
and sending it to them and not and we were saying those were our audience and this was like oh, this was before i mean i think what so what, how did the game started was from, what yeah. 2004 something like that yeah yeah so it was kind of like this like I, I i had no knowledge of it but i was like damn we was on to something like you know it was mtv and i was like you know they 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 greenlit it off of the the strength of wilding out and all the talent that we had but I don't think people saw my vision of like what I was really trying to do. We did some funny ass shit, but it was like even to, it didn't it didn't resonate. Like we, you know, we So did, what do you do when it doesn't resonate? When you know it's a good idea, maybe you're I ahead mean, of the time. Like, yeah, it just didn't have the platform, man. Like it was like, you know, I how, how do you be okay with that though? When you have I mean, this idea, the people who saw it, I mean, it still came on after a while and out. People thought it was funny, but it was it, it, we were trying to make it go viral before going viral was a thing. You know what I mean? Like we just like I remember like we did a skit and I was uh, we did it was that was around the time where Kanye uh, said George Bush doesn't like black people. So we did a diss record from George Bush to Kanye, and we got like a a George Bush impersonator, and like did the shot the whole music video. We had like you know Dick Cheney had like the gat in the back, and Condoleezza Rice was twerking. Like it was hilarious. Like it was it was amazing, and like we had like hired like a real dude who was like a, a impersonator of. Uh, you know of George Bush at the time and I remember like I wanted Kanye like I went to Kanye I was like yo he was like yo that's hilarious but like yo the president really doesn't like me <laughs> like you joking around about it but like the, all this is Repu- national security yeah, like, dick Repu- like they don't like like I'm not playing around with this he was like so you could go put that out and everything I was like nah but if you put this out on like one of your skits or like you know at the time I think Kanye had like this was when everybody had blogs yeah, oh and my, that's, yeah. that's all you know like it was more like I wanted him to kind of put it up on one of his you know on his website and he was like no not his medium at the time yeah 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 he was like no I'm not doing that but it was like but it aired on MTV and yeah you know, like we did some funny shit, man. Like we did, like you know, uh, uh, Mikey Day, who's now you know one of the stars and writers at SNL, uh, started with us. Uh, and Taron Killam, same thing. We did a skit called the Claymates, and it was literally like Clay Aiken's uh, big, like biggest fans, like this Clay Aiken fan club. And they had a public access show, and no matter who they had on their show, all they would ask them about was Clay Aiken. <laughs> And it was like, it's the Claymate show, the Claymate show. And it was like the funniest, most bizarre shit ever. But like, if that, that, like to me, it had the in between two ferns before it was in Before it was that. You know what I mean? Like, same, like, same tone, all of that. And I was like, wow, we was, we was on this stuff. Like, we had, um, we had a Kevin Hart and, and Atheon Crockett do this, like, like PBS style debate show called I'd Hit That. <laughs> and they would just like pictures come up and be like R2D2. And they'd be like, yes, I'd hit R2D2. And he would project porn onto the wall. Oh my God. <laughs> like it was just like, there'd be so, but it was just like, like we were so ahead of our time. And so I was just happy to be at like, that was like, yo, they paying us to act stupid and come up with ideas. So we wasn't even thinking about like ratings, yeah. like that. just like most influencers and people were, you know, making stuff on, you know, these platforms aren't thinking they're doing it because they're having fun with their friends. And, you know, if it goes viral and, you know, they, they get an agent or a manager and somebody's like, yo, you can make money doing this. Like, like really? yeah, but like most people start out, especially comedians, man, you start out because you just want to have fun and make people laugh. 
I, I knew about the the George Bush diss track yeah. skit because DC showed that to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And DC learned this from you. He credits you, but he said, study your craft, yeah. you know, research, watch these stand up specials, but don't just watch them to laugh, like pay attention to what they're doing, the timing. Yeah. And I remember him telling me about that one. No, nah, that was, man, we did some funny, funny stuff like, like, and even stuff like really like, like next level that we were thinking like we got I did a skit with Nas like when he was doing the whole uh, hip hop is dead and we did like this like blackface minstrel show rap group that were like in every but it was like really to a point where like, it was po- like people were posting it and doing debates about it because and this was before this was before you know you know like I said this was early 2000s but making a statement like yo if y'all keep keep going in the, at this rate this is what hip-hop will be in the future and it's like really just a lot of satire and social commentary that we are still experiencing and talking about to this day but it and we didn't that was a time like obviously you couldn't do that today you know what i mean like it was stuff that we was doing back then like you you could not get away with and we you know it was a fun time like we was we was doing civil rights uh celebrity basketball games <laughs> like, like like Harriet Tubman was a cheerleader <laughs> I can't I can't touch this but, <laughs> but I'm just saying like that's the type of stuff we was doing and you couldn't obviously you could not do that now uh people are just way too sensitive but like but back then like we was on MTV like at eight Eight o'clock doing this type of stuff. It was crazy. We'll we'll wrap up on that then, because I, I I do have <laughs> good no place. Yeah. <laughs> How do we move it and and roll with the punches of the sensitivity in comedy now? Man, do you think we'll ever come back from it? All all hail Dave Chappelle. You know what I mean? Like uh, the people who are fearless. I mean, as someone who has definitely had my 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 brush many times with you know cancel culture and you know um and been on multiple sides of different debates you mm. know what i mean when you get to what you can't say and what's insensitive and one thing i value and i man i try to share this story and just i i can't i think they they will pick it up you know in 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 retrospect but while and out is the most progressive show on television and has been for over a decade, for almost almost two. And I say that just to say it because when you think about, there's no other place on television where you can have people from completely different walks of life say the most harsh, outrageous, outrageous, unapologetic stuff to each other. Like we literally will have someone from the, transgender community battle rap someone who is homophobic and they and and just watch it happen but at the end of the day they hug it out you know what i mean or you could watch someone from you know make a a, a, a middle eastern joke to someone who's not even middle eastern who's in who's indian you know eastern age and like and it's so you know, it's it's ignorant in the sense, but it's like, oh, we all say that, you know, like uh, shout out to Timothy DeLaghetto, who probably caught probably more Asian hate on Wild and Out than I've ever witnessed. And for him to be so brilliant and strong and have the better comebacks to finish somebody's you know, offensive, crass, low frequency joke before they could, and then top it with something even more brilliant. And you're like, 
yo, that's that's how you handle differences. That's how you handle ignorance. That's how you handle stereotypes. Uh, I think, um, you know, Ozzy Davis uh, said, you should never fear stereotypes. You should fear what people do with them. You know what I mean? In that sense, because we're all different. We're all, but when when you embrace your differences and you say, look, you would wear that sweater. I wouldn't fucking wear that sweater. <laughs> I put this on today going, he's going he's gonna to comment on this. I knew you, it. I knew it the second be, I put it on, man. You wanted to be the Freddy Krueger of podcast. <laughs> and, but I wouldn't do that. But I can acknowledge that you are brave enough to wear that sweater. That is it, the nicest way to hate on a sweater. <laughs> but I can acknowledge that it works for you works in for your you. mind. <laughs> but I, I, but like I, we joke, but that's the brilliance of Wild and Out. But as soon as you do something out of hate or malice, that's when we should protest. That's when we should protect. When you're doing something that's so dark and low frequency that oh, I was like, man, that was hateful. But when you're doing something with your friends, I like like think about it. Like, man, we call our friends dumbass jerks and stupid ass and like well, I call man. my friends worse, yeah. yeah you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like all of that type of stuff. But you don't mean that's your friend. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like me and Kevin Hart literally pick, uh, pick up the phone and like, yo, what's your little ugly ass doing right now? Like, but he knows I love him. And you like, that's how we talk to each other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like, so that's in that same sense, that's what you see on Wild and Out. That's what you saw of birth. So I believe that's how you get to a space of dealing with sensitivities. Cause we should be sensitive. We should be concerned. We should be, as we're, improving and growing and learning there should be certain things that you can't say if and understand like oh that's built that's in hate Mm -hmm. and if you don't have the knowledge of that then you shouldn't speak on that you know and i felt i've watched some of the toughest comedians some of the most homophobic people some of the most uh insecure individuals on wild and out grow and evolve and become friends and family with people that they would never speak to you know what I mean and like and even like I see people like you know uh Maddie on the show shout out to Maddie like she's like the, I call her the the brave white soul <laughs> like because she stands there and will say whatever like she said on that show that like yo if like even I still see it trending on Twitter like yo I can't believe she said that <laughs> like, like uh like i remember she was wild style one time on like what her first season and she's like something something you know i like to rip the mic uh but i don't even know who to go at because you all look alike <laughs> like, i was like yo she just said that to a bunch of black people <laughs> I was like, oh, like, man. that is brilliant and yeah. fearless but because we had been training and working with each other and the, she was our sister and so we let it happen we right. wouldn't let nobody out on the street say that yeah. shit to us but we hugged her for that <laughs> and like definitely like put her on her shoulders but like yo because that's what the show is about so I hopefully only could continue to create content and platforms so where I can give people opportunities to 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 push the limit to be themselves to be artists to to have the ability to be the next George Carlin's or Dave Chappelle's or or Richard Pryor's because we need those people we need you know that's the purpose for satire that's the purpose for you know comedy to hold that mirror up to society to society and like look at you idiots are doing <laughs> like like that's and and we all gotta we are all those people you know what i mean because we all take ourselves too seriously we all 
are sensitive and rightly so we're in such a time where the paradigm is shifting and 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 we don't know where the where the solid ground is so everyone has an opinion everyone has something to say and when someone can do it in an artistic way and put time and thought into it those are the people we should pay attention to nick there's one before i completely say goodbye i just need people to know this i don't know how many people recognize from a tv production side how fast and furious wild and out happens oh yeah because man. i mean i think they think like oh it's a season it happens man. once a week we we're talking multiple shows a day three a day oh my gosh three a day and we could do like 30 in two weeks if when we getting it right and that's all like that's like when you when you playing with the dream team you know what i mean mm-hmm. or like when you even or not even dreaming when you the dallas cowboys or you know what i mean like when you're like a team that's that's locked in and and no each other like the back of their hands all you're doing is having fun and that preparation that rehearsal that you know the off season of just working your muscles is no matter you turn the camera on we're gonna get to it and and as quick as we can do an episode that's years and months of preparation of mastering your craft Nick, dude, it, to say you are a busy man is an understatement. <laughs> so I uh, I appreciate the time. I appreciate no, no, the intelligent conversation. Thank and just, thank you. No, no Thanks, doubt, man. man. I'll, I'll send you a, a sweater of your own yeah. so you can rock it <laughs> when you want to sometime. <laughs> Freddy Krueger twins. <laughs> to see more of Eric Zachary's conversation with Nick Cannon, follow Spout underscore podcast on IG or Twitter or at spoutpodcast.com. Next week, Gail spouts off. I could care less if he's heard it or not because that wasn't about him. It was about me taking ownership of my feelings and the things that he did and holding him accountable for his actions. But none of that was to like for him. It was all for me, you know? The Spout Podcast is presented by Alpha Media and created by Phil Becker. Spout.